with David Ian and Kate Dale. The show that plums the depths of mediocrity, celebrates the ordinary, and enjoys the everyday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mediocre Gay, the podcast. I'm Kate Dale. And I'm David Ian. So, David, tell us about your week. What's the most mediocre thing you've been up to this week? One of many things, I imagine. <laughs> um, the, the mediocre thing that's on my brain at the moment is Prosecco. And when you say it's on your brain... I like, mean, it's physically flowing yeah. through my body, right? <laughs> and, it's <laughs> leaving my pores as we speak. I was going to say, for those uh, listening and watching, be very glad there's no such thing as smell of vision mm-hmm. because it's like a living, walking I'm incredibly of... sweaty right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah. did someone indulge in too much Prosecco last night, perhaps? Yeah, and I don't understand why people like it. I don't actually like Prosecco. And it made me unfavorably... Un- un- Unable to speak? Yeah. Inarticulate? Lost yeah. the words? Yeah, like right, much more... This is going to be my favourite podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, it had a much more profound effect on me than other stuff. I, I don't what? know. Like, I just got drunk much quicker. You kind of answered the question. That's why people like it. Yeah. It was just, oh, anyway, yeah. It's basically sugar, water, fire juice that gets people as drunk Yeah, but I didn't possible. want to be that drunk. That's the thing. Because we so, had this to do today. Were you tied down and was it poured down your throat? <laughs> no. No. So you voluntarily drank something you didn't like drinking on a night that you shouldn't have drunk it. So is it really yourself that we yeah, should I be guess, discussing here yeah, in Seco? Yeah, Whose I, fault is it? It's all my fault. I fell asleep on the bus home. I work up in Liverpool Street and I live nowhere near Liverpool Street. <laughs> that call at four in the morning, right? I've got my smug Uber home. It's like in Liverpool Street. You weren't crying, was, sorry. It, my voice was lower than that. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. My panicked voice isn't even high. Talking uh, all the way Anyway. Home. Yeah. Hi, okay, now I think. <laughs> so, so I tired. don't understand. Mid 30s, I fell asleep on a bus home. Anyway. Uh, who have we got today? Because I'm very excited about this podcast. We have got a fantastic author and broadcast journalist, Daniel Harding, who has recently published a fantastic book. Hold the camera, gay men talking, gay man talking. Man. And sorry, that's just just one. One job, Kate. He didn't just, want he didn't want all of us to have a voice. Just no. <laughs> so um welcome to Medica Gay the Podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, what an introduction. I, epic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and just for everyone watching or listening, I can smell. Great. Thanks for that. <laughs> That's nice. And you smell lovely. Thanks. <laughs> if you like two day old Prosecco. It's two I don't days. like Prosecco either. Right? It's, it's horrible. Overrated. I agree. I wasn't tied down and it poured down me, but... That's what people were drinking. That might be more fun, actually, to take it away. Maybe. I do remember at one point I insisted on having two glasses. Wow. I think I was worried that it would, like, I wouldn't get my share. Anyway, I'm not coming out well from this. Um, great. So, Daniel, we've read the book. And I'm, I've been hugely excited to do this podcast because there is a huge amount of similarities between your book and my show, Mediocre Gay. It covers a lot of the same topics. One's funnier than the other. The book is hilarious. <laughs> uh, tell me, what, like, what made you decide? Like, how did you reach the point that you were like, I'm going to put this into the book? I think, basically, I, uh, as a journalist, I did a lot of different articles. And one that stood out was about being the gay best friend. And I kind of, like, had this love-hate relationship with it. I have a fantastic group of sort of straight girls who were 
brilliant friends and allies as I was growing up, but they kind of, not for any fault of their own, but called me their GBF or gay best mm-hmm. friend. And I hated it because I felt labelled. I felt really uncomfortable with it. So I did this feature about it. And afterwards, it just sparked so many different conversations um, that I hadn't had. And I realised that actually when I came out, um, I thought the job had been done. And I stopped talking, stopped having those conversations, thought everyone was all right with it and wanted to move on and kind of didn't want to really address that area of my life and just move forward with it. Um, And then after publishing, um, obviously, the feature, loads of people started wanting to talk to me and ask me questions and, oh, are you all right with this? Or how did you really feel then back then? And all these things. And it, like made me actually want to sort of delve into those conversations and actually have like okay I roll up my sleeves and have these awkward uncomfortable conversations I realized I actually hadn't spoken to my parents about how they felt hadn't spoken to like friends about how they dealt with it or like the different things that I had been called or like my dad and mum had no idea that I was bullied um, and there were so many areas of my life that I hadn't sort of shared and I'd lived in secret and I thought fuck it I'm allowed to swear. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> I thought, fuck it. Like, let's, let's actually have these conversations and get a bit uncomfortable. And actually what I found was the idea that I had of everyone and how they felt was completely wrong. I found it really interesting because, so I read this book while I was on holiday with my parents. Oh, mm. did it spark conversation? Um, so... Yes, is the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it absolutely did. But actually what happened was um, I... I have mentioned on more than one occasion about the fact that, um, you know, like I, I wonder if parents should read books about raising queer children. Um, and then I sort of mentioned this to my mum at the beginning of the holiday. And um, I started reading the book on the flight and I had an unfortunate flight. So I only read like 30 pages or something at the start. And then my mum was like, well, go on, then let me read your book. And all of a sudden I was like, no, because I haven't read it yet. And so I need to, I felt, I felt like I needed to vet how gay it was. Yeah. That's before like I let her, right? Um, because I, multiple times I've spoken about getting my parents to read The Velvet Rage. Mm. Um, but I feel like in my head, when I eventually like issue them with a copy, that it needs to come with like a load of, I think I've spoken to you about this before, mm. a load of like, this bit doesn't apply to me. I didn't deal with things like that's not me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I feel like I want, but then that kind of defeats the whole point. Yeah. Because I'm still trying to cloud how they, like I'm still trying to protect how they see that bit of me. That's the thing, that's what I found really hard because for so long in my life, I'd, and my dad says it perfectly, I had kept a little bit secret and like hidden parts. Like I didn't want to really divulge to my dad that predominantly at school, my group of friends were girls. And like, I felt ashamed of that and like really uncomfortable with that being my truth. And so I kind of didn't really talk to my dad like about that sort of side of things. And he felt really shut off, didn't know what was happening. And actually, when I came out to him um, at 18, he said he felt so relieved because he thought, okay, now everything's making sense. I feel like I'm not a failure. And I never knew he had all these feelings that because of how I was acting and how I was, and I did that. Like, I put boxes and thought, right, you don't need to hear about that. You don't need to know about that. No one needs to know about my sex life. So that's all fine. And everyone just shut up and get on with it. I swept under the carpet. But... It's really not. We sh- we come out. We shut up. We shouldn't. We can continue conversations. I, I absolutely loved loved your book. Um, uh, it was revelatory, I think, in so many ways, and in so many ways that felt like they shouldn't be. It reminded, as you say, so many common themes and connections with for your show as well. That it was really interesting looking at them both. One of the many, well, there's a couple of things. 
that I particularly loved and just reflecting on then is I think in the past ideas of coming out, I think to parents was it's a very binary, I'm not sure that's the right word, but it's a very black and white thing. They either accept you and it's all fine and it's yeah. a celebration or you're thrown out and being overly flippant about something terrible. But it's seen as that. But there's sort of the ripples and you allowing them to have their feelings and thoughts and reflections and reactions without it taking away from you needing to be who you are. But it does have an impact. And I think there probably is something for parents of all children, actually, as the children grow up to be whoever they are, if that's different to what they thought it would be, and it will be because we're mm. all individuals, um, allowing them to find that complex as well, I think, and have their thoughts. Yeah, it was really interesting, actually, because I find that actually when you come out, it's quite a selfish process, isn't it? Like, it's about it's, it's about me. Yeah. yeah. And actually, in having those conversations, that's exactly what I sort of found out, that there were struggles and there were things like, it's not about um, homophobia or not accepting mm. or any of that. It's more about, like, my sister was going through her own thing and she kind of felt like, and I say it in her sort of chapter, she felt plain because I now had something that was almost making me more colourful and um, separated me from the norm. And she was almost envious at the time and yeah. we had this real struggle and stuff. And she really struggled, not because she didn't support me or love me or accept me, but because she was going through her thing. And I think that's the key thing. Like when you're coming out, um, especially to a quite heteros heterosexual family, you do need to like consider their feelings or what they're going through. And I say it in the parent chapter, but you do really become the teacher because you yeah. start like teaching them a new way of like yeah. living. My brother was actually really upset that he was pretty much the last person sort of in the family group that I told. And it really surprised me. And the reason why he was last is because I was the most nervous about telling him. My brother is nearly three years younger than me, but he's just the complete opposite of me he's very cool and just like everything was just like <laughs> oh. he like he had he was very popular and like good at sports and he's really smart and um so I felt like I couldn't like tell him yeah. like that that awful thing but he was like delighted and he was really great actually and I remember being so shocked about the fact that he was upset that I hadn't told him but I found um you mentioned your girlfriends at school which I thought was really interesting because I went to an all-boys school oh, okay so I didn't Lucky have you. Uh, <laughs> you would think but no <laughs> it's it, it's all the bullying but without any of the allies yeah yeah I mean I had one amazing friend um who like we're still friends to this day he's like my oldest friend and he he like a really amazing human being but reading that I was like I really feel like if I'd have gone to a mixed school probably that would have really helped me yeah. um because I think I struggled because there wasn't as many like girls around mm. in other parts of my life I made other female friends but in that school environment I think I I really sort of missed that yeah I can't imagine actually I I, I actually went and did the exams to try and, and I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough um, to get into the all boys school. But, you did the 11 plus. Yeah. But I'm kind of glad that I did because like you say, like I actually think those girls saved my life. Like I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have them. Yeah. And although potentially it enforced like people to bully because I was in that sort of group it actually helped me so much to have like that acceptance i can stuff. tell you they would have still bullied you <laughs> i think the point you make about bullying i thought that was i mean and it's, that is universal it's, it's the confidence isn't it if you're not confident they will find whatever it yeah. is that makes a difference that was a real like oh moment for me a bit of a light bulb moment i hadn't thought i was I feel like he wasn't bullied but then it's probably me the people who i hang out with mainly you but um a really <laughs> interesting conversation like with a bully yeah, yeah. really fascinating i mean i talk 
let's go with quite explicitly about one of my bullies in my show. Um, and so to read, it's actually made me consider contacting my bully. I changed my mind because with, the, with what I When he hears your show, he's going to be contacting you anyway, David. Yeah. So. <laughs> by, <our> legal, <laughs> by our legal representative. So, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can just wait for that police knock on the door. Yeah. Now, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but, like, it made me, it, it was a really interesting perspective to get, especially from a bully that is now out like yeah. it really fascinating that was such a uh, all the conversations I found really interesting actually some of them which would apply to me and some wouldn't like I say I've got a brother and not a sister mm-hmm. and um my I like I'm not a, I don't think I really perform the role of gay son like my mum doesn't massively enjoy shopping with me in fact she hates shopping with me um because I'm a, and I'm like try this on try this on and my mum's quite like she has a certain style that works for her and that she's comfortable with and I'm trying to like get her in sparkly things and um so I don't think and my mum doesn't really wear makeup or anything like that so we never did any of that so I don't I, I guess that element of it I was sort of like oh I wonder what that would be mm. like, like I don't feel like I'm playing that role I think sometimes like I when I and especially when I was conscious of this when I was writing it I, I didn't want it to be like this is the way for everyone and it's yeah. completely not and everyone's going to tailor different bits about like mm. bullying and feeling confident <clears throat> and stuff to them and I hope that that's what people actually take from it yeah. because this isn't a one size fits all and it definitely doesn't because like in the parent chapter I speak with um, Mufseen who had a completely different um, upbringing and outcome to his coming out and I think that that was really important for me this isn't a book that's about this is the way it is this is a book that this was the way it was for me and these are the conversations I'm having to hear about other people um, but all I want to do is encourage people to like have those conversations for themselves so our thing about stand-up is always that I, we think it's really important you tell your own story and then everybody it, it's it's specific to you but everybody finds the personal for them within that that's how it works that's why we get very annoyed at comedians that tell other people's stories you know oh, yeah, like yeah. a straight white man who tries to tell a joke about being gay yeah that's when it gets offensive because you're not speaking from your own like lived yeah, experience yeah. but if you tell it like <clears throat> and you've actually you were saying um saying about like these experiences being relevant to lots of people weren't you yeah absolutely i think <clears throat> excuse me um and I think it's really important this is a a book that is specifically about growing up as a as a gay male, I think, and they well, one specific gay male as well, as you say. Um, but there's so much in there that um I think is universally relatable and there'll be different aspects of it. And it, I feel the same about your show as well. Is I wish we could make sure that more straight people came and saw them, came and read them and came yeah. and teamed it. Because I think A, I think it would be part of their Education sounds vaguely sinister in some way, but learning, understanding, and understanding what it's like to grow up feeling different, being othered, yeah, inadvertently othered usually. And I think given how much more open and inclusive we are as a society, I think obviously things are a hell of a lot better than they were. There's still a long way to go, and I think there's an awful oh, lot that the straight world needs to understand about that. And I think by opening themselves up to gay stories, yeah, listening to gay stories without expecting them to be the entertainment and the, oh, my goodness me. I don't know what voice that was meant to be. But, That's you know. the voice you do when you're being me. Oh, yeah, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's my, oh, oh not you. ideal. That's my David Ian impression. <laughs> oh, not ideal. Um, um, yeah. yeah um, I think, because I, I quite like, and I mean this 
from a nice place, the, men- the mundanity of a lot of it is the little things. And I think we went through that phase, and we probably still do, where obviously to be a gay character in a film or book is to die young or die horribly or to be beaten up, you know, and all these terrible, big, epic, tragic things. I think what really shines through me on both your stories is it's day-to-day bits of tragedy and it's day-to-day things that are making life difficult. And that's Day-to-day what, tragedy, that's a horrific thing to say. <laughs> Maybe tragedy that's is That's what too- you like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all have our kink. And, um, no kink shaming here. Um, yeah, but the, tragedy might be too strong, but it's the day-to-day little bits of it, not the homophobic attack of yeah. those as well. But. No, and I think that's the thing, and allyship is so important. I think more of the heterosexual community should be speaking out and should be obviously standing with us. And I've said many a times that this book isn't um, just for our community Mm -hmm. or just for the gay man. It's for everyone to sort of understand identity and what people go through and the different conversations that you might have with different people. And it's very much for um, our allies and the heterosexual community as well, because everyone's got to understand each other, right? Like, well, it's all, like, basically what it means is go and have the conversations. I mean, you say at the end of the book, go and have the conversations mm-hmm. with people and that applies to everyone. And the most important one to have is with yourself. Again, yeah. something I talk about in the show, like I dated myself for a period. Oh, I love that. People thought it was weird. Are you married yet? <laughs> no, it didn't work out between us. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I hate it when you still live together. <laughs> <laughs> it won't leave me alone. Um, but like, Follow it, you everywhere. It was a really important period. I, I was after quite a long relationship um, and I felt like I really needed to spend some time like actually understanding who I was and getting to know myself and like I've come out the other side of that in a really like a much stronger way I, like I actually like went for actual dates on my own where I would actively you know, like when you go on a first date and you'll try to get to know someone so you'll ask them questions so I would go for dinner and I'd be like be like right what what would I be asking what would I so that I like I was really thinking about stuff which I know sounds really weird but um I think it was really useful and I think in a way that like this is what the book would prompt people to do like to reassess and like, I think what are the conversations that I haven't had mm. with people I wonder because I came out as bisexual at 50 a couple of years ago in March 2020 it wasn't ideal timing really so two years yeah. Time, yeah absolutely just gonna say you came out and then the world, the world, yeah, ended. The world said oh no we'll lock ourselves away yeah, <laughs> you came out, the world went in yeah, yeah. basically <laughs> Uh, and so I tell my family, mainly through stand-up, which is possibly not the best way either, but I haven't thought about, and in fact I make jokes about how my teenage nephews and nieces don't particularly want to discuss it because who wants to think about their older pair, older families' sex lives? But there is so much more to it than sex. And it's making me think that I should be thinking about that you know and having those well, conversations. Though, that is such a um, common view, and I thought the same. Like, I thought, oh gosh, there's so many areas of my life that my parents, my friends, people that I've like live with or whatever want to know about or don't want to know about and it's all in your mind because yeah. you kind of think like well unless you ask them unless you have those conversations yeah you, you won't know, know will you like yeah my dad didn't love reading about the sex chapter um it's in there and I did say skip it if you want to but he read it and um he's fine with it and it's it is but do you know what can I, I think ask you both about that actually because you've both done this <laughs> in the shows I think uh-huh. the, the question is you have them presenting your parents with some quite explicit information and I mean he had the benefit of doing it in a book yeah <laughs> in <laughs> I know, yeah I, I was in the room with him I could see everyone swiveling and looking at them but yeah but how the question for me, what is the question from that how difficult was that how much warning did you give them do you know what like it's so funny because I thought the conversations were going to be the hardest part and they were some of them were really like draining and afterwards I was really mm. like oh I felt emotionally drained but 
Um, actually, after people have read the book, and especially the people who are in the book and actually digested those conversations, I've realised it sparks so much more and we're, I'm having so many more conversations, which is great. Um, but people have so many questions and not just about their chapter or, or the bit that they're related to, um, but other things. And it's just like conversation I never thought I'd have and never want to have. Um, like my dad said to me yesterday, actually, about... Um, being bullied at school and stuff and he had no idea that I went through any of that like literally no idea and he was just like reading it he said that he really had to like put it down and like yeah. really pick it up and stuff and as a parent he said he found it really hard because you go back to that mm. moment you think well where was I at that time why wasn't I there and like I never noticed these things and it's really interesting to sort of like have those conversations and actually publish a book full of them and you're almost like well, like we were talking about earlier you're putting so much of your true self yeah, out there yeah. and it's a really hard process because you're going to get it back you're going to get people coming to yeah. you and say hey well what this was my experience or this was what I went it triggers through. other conversations it really doesn't does. it I mean I think from my point of view one of the things having my parents come and see my stand-up like when I go and do mixed bill stuff or when I do my solo show it's all it turns out all my stand-up is remarkably <laughs> sex-heavy. Um, and I... <laughs> I need to come and see it. So. <laughs> um, you no, do baby, flash, so you? Like the, <laughs> <laughs> the show's called Mediocre Gay. I mean, like, it's all mediocre. Um, but I think, I looking back, I think I probably didn't give my mum and dad enough credit for... Um, like, I was really worried about them hearing all this stuff and um you know i mean obviously what, what i'm doing is making a joke out of sex and things mm -hmm. like that and sometimes it's a bit graphic and um i think i really underestimated my parents because they were they were fun. like my i mean my dad laughs all the time at it like and people comment to me when they come and see it and when they see that he's in the audience at a show that oh your dad was loving it he was laughing at all the sex stuff and I'm like well my dad and I have the same sense of humor like so he thinks it's funny and so I think that feels like a representation actually of the conversation that I've never had with them because we don't talk about sex so I had no idea whether they would be okay and I suppose if there was anything that I felt like I needed to have a conversation about I probably could I think it's one of those. I think it's one of those things where actually you you pre have these preconceived like judgments of those conversations or how people are going to react to your show and stuff. But actually, like these are people who love you and who have been with you most of your life, hopefully. And it, you can't really second guess them. They're going to react how they're going to react. Plus, also our parents or friends or whatever have gone through all of their own stuff. Exactly. And they've, they've... I was going to say, we forget that. We think of them as the one, especially parents, yeah. because all they are is mum and dad. It's not all. That's everything they are. It's all and everything. But you forget that there are people around that it's as their well. their own internal monologues yeah, I mean, as like, well. And I in, in my show, there's some information gets revealed in it that I thought would be really difficult for my parents to hear. And so, and I'd never told anyone before. And so when the show was being debuted, about three days before I spoke to my, I rang my mum and dad and I said, look, there's something comes up in the show and I, I'm going to give you the option that I can either tell you tomorrow, which was like two days before. So it's like, I don't want to do it on the day so that you can process it privately um, or you can experience it as it's been designed in the show, but it will be with everybody else. And I assumed, because we spoke about it extensively, mm. I was like, they're going to like, they're going to want me to tell them. And I feel like that will destroy the show a little bit, but that's, you know, for them, that's what they want. And I, I can respect that. That's what I would want. And they called me out the next day and they were like, no, we'll see it in the show, everybody else. 
they were amazing honestly so i think they're so much stronger yeah yeah because they've led their own lives it was it was and, and, and that gave me a lot of strength you're lying about vulnerability being both weak and strong mm. i love that i think there's something yeah really do you know brene brown Oh, God. Should I? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you look really nervous. Delete that. <laughs> so you're going to have some homework after this. Uh, <laughs> Brene Brown is a shame and vulnerability researcher. Okay. She has the third most watched TED Talk of all time. And it's on... David, you're doing that tone of voice when you think... No, no. Oh, no things. I like it goes into... <laughs> you have to. It's so important. Her TED Talk, The Power of, of Vulnerability, has had like 50 or 60 million views okay. now. And I mean... She's changed my entire life. But you would find her really, like, it's yeah. 20 minutes, watch the TED Talk. Like, yeah, no, it, it's all about exactly what you're saying about vulnerability being, we, we're taught that it's weak, but actually it's a great yeah. strength. And that's what, like, that the book is so vulnerable, but that's what makes it really strong. I think that's as well the reason, like, and I'm sure you guys do with your, um, obviously, shows and stuff. But I think that's why it's important for it not to be a too heavy book, because there are so many heavy sort of subjects yeah. and moments and stuff in my life which I actually have like really suffered at the time but I'm fine and I'm, I'm good now and it was really important actually for me to be vulnerable but also add some humor into mm. it because like which I hope comes across I'm not sure if yeah. it does always but it's funny yeah but, it's, but I think it's really important like because I knew that friends would read this I knew that um, family would read it but I also knew that people who don't know me at all will pick up this book and they need to have a bit of light because you need light relief like it's so yeah. important to have that shade and light I mean, I believe that comedy is the best way to, like, educate people. I agree. So um, my <laughs> my favourite movie of all time is Nine to Five. Never heard of it. I'm joking. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God, I nearly committed murder on camera. <laughs> <laughs> this studio is white. There would have been blood everywhere. <laughs> I really got you. I I can see the face through the back of the head. <laughs> Couldn't need a moment. Like. <laughs> Sorry, I really ruined this thing. <laughs> Dolly, if you're watching, because we know you are. <laughs> She's a big fan. <laughs> um, my, one of my favourite movies of all time <laughs> is 9 to 5. Um, and one of, the thing, one of the facts that I really love about it is that Jane Fonda who produced the movie as well as starring in it, uh, felt like it was really important that it was written as a comedy because she had a message about females in the workplace um, to get across, but that if it was a serious, you know, uh, movie, then the people that needed to see it wouldn't see it. But mm. if you dressed it up as a comedy, like the message would come across yeah. and it's a message that's still relevant today. Um, so yeah, I think that's like, it's really important and it is actually funny. I mean, my favorite thing in the book is that you constantly refer to stand up comedians. <laughs> in fact I do believe you say the what's the line incredible is it really, yeah. no, well, is that, I did it just to get on this podcast and it was <laughs> very smart job done very smart and so that I want to know you then say that you can't tell jokes which is clearly not true because you've just played a blinder oh, yeah. what is the salad cream joke this isn't a spoiler because you don't actually say it in the book it's, it's such not a funny joke either um, so I absolutely hate like I feel like I don't know well you guys are obviously do stand up but I feel like when someone tells you to oh, tell a joke can't do it can't do it don't have any jokes um, not in the stand up anyway <laughs> so I literally have this one joke which okay. probably won't be funny at all guys we'll so, laugh anyway it's fine if I get this wrong I'm so sorry um, okay so a guy and a girl are on a date and they come home um, and he says oh do you want to come in and um, they're just outside his um, front door 
And she says, yeah, great. And he goes, okay, only thing is my parents are in, so we'll have to go upstairs. And um, so they go in, say hello to the parents, and they're going upstairs. And as they get to his door, he goes, oh, only thing is um, my brother's in the room, but it's a bunk bed, so don't worry. So um, we'll just be on the bottom bunk. And she was just like, oh, okay. And he goes, so um, obviously, like, um, when we're having sex, if you need to sort of, like, ask me to slow down or speed up, we'll do lettuce for faster, tomato for slower. She was just like, okay, cool. Um, so this is funny in. already, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so they go in and get onto the bottom bunk and they're having sex and oh, she's enjoying it. She's screaming, lettuce, tomato, lettuce, tomato, lettuce, tomato. And it finishes. And then all of a sudden you hear a little voice from above the bunk. Can you two stop making sandwiches? I've got salad cream in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I want that on there. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's a horrible joke. <laughs> so guys, that's why I should never talk. Yeah, jokes, no, right? no, yeah, don't do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so you can choose whether you want that in or not. Where did you get that from? I can't remember. Like that's such a like. It's a really long joke as well to remember. <laughs> well, like, I mean, <laughs> I could give the longer version. <laughs> <laughs> I just think when I can never remember jokes because like, they're like I hate jokes can't like actually that remember anyway. them. Like, to actually oh, yeah. say like yeah. a joke joke is yeah yeah okay let's do some actual <laughs> podcast stuff <laughs> um, so uh, the first question we normally ask people is what does mediocre mean to you okay I had to think about this so I think it means that when you're not quite there yet so that for me is like mediocre so mm, I'm not quite where I want to be yet um and that is mediocre to me so like sort of um like drag race for example um if you were <laughs> if this is good god your face is <laughs> no, no i was remembering i love your um giving away material now but the um are you, are you paul made me uh, laugh <laughs> <laughs> for so long i thought that i'm not even joking. i was so embarrassed and people would say to me, like, oh, RuPaul. And I was like, oh, I've not heard of that. Because no. <laughs> I haven't read it. Oh, you're cool. Um, but, yeah, I think mediocre is where, like, on Drag Race, when they are just, you're safe. And then mm. they're not in the top, they're not in the bottom. Yeah. I feel like mediocre is coasting to me. You kind of described it like it's a journey, like you're not quite there yet. So that implies that you think you will get there. Uh, absolutely. Everyone's mm. got to get there, right? Yeah. This whole thing. I've always thought mediocre was just my destination. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's fine maybe that's fine maybe your journey then is to being okay with that oh this he messaged the other day and said that he was having a mediocre day and I was like you just need to lean into it Just and he was like no but I can't remember what you said <laughs> oh yeah I do remember I'm not going to put that on here but, um, <laughs> <laughs> better than the joke <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I do think it is about like, just embracing it I feel like mediocre is that word that you if you keep on saying it to yourself over and over you start to hear it and think oh no I'm not saying it right anymore mediocre yeah. like I was saying it before this podcast yeah. and I was thinking oh am I saying that right I didn't want to come on and say I can't spell mediocre. it I say it, like, I, I've written it a million times now in the last year or something, and I literally have to All think about how to spell it every single time. Well, yeah. I might start calling it mediocre. Mediocre. Mediocre gay. <laughs> kind of, no, okay. Right, so uh, second question, what's the second question? Yeah, so can you tell us something that you think is fabulous, but maybe everyone else thinks is a bit mediocre or mediocre? <laughs> <laughs> My moustache. At the moment... I'm getting so many mixed opinions or mm, what's that What's that on your face? Someone said to me the other day or yeah, okay, when are you going to shave it though? 
And I really love it. And I feel like perhaps perhaps no one can see it right now, but <laughs> I really like it. Oh, they, I'm had. sure they can see it. <laughs> see, <laughs> I you told see you moustaches were making a comeback. You did. Yeah, I would love to grow a moustache, but it feels like a lot of work. Is it a lot of work? No. But you've got, you've got a clean shave this I mean, bit your up. face, your follicles do most of the work, David. Yeah, but yeah. You, in order for it to work, you have to clean shave this bit. And what if you accidentally end up looking like a... I don't know if we can say that, can we? I don't know what you said. I do. Oh, uh, was it that? Was it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is... I don't think that's necessarily an indicator of that particular depravity. No, I know, but you don't like... A porn star, isn't it? Like an old-fashioned yeah. porn star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Porn, porn star. Yeah. Porn star, yeah. Um... But yeah, I don't know. Um, I say mediocre because I feel like I've got such mixed opinions about it. But I actually love it and I really like it. Do you all do that with it? Do you? Oh, all the time, yeah. Not that I need to. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been growing it for? Oh, this is just two days. You've had all these comments in two days. <laughs> no, no, no. I keep on, I keep on, I keep on shaving. I'm, I'm that person that shaves and then it comes back. Yeah. So mm. by tonight, it'll just be a full beard again. So you won't see them. Yeah. Like show. a Play-Doh barbershop doll. Exactly. To be fair, so like... So am I. Okay. incredibly No, but what I mean, what I mean is, but that. <laughs> no, but what I, <laughs> what, what I mean is, I understand that. But like, why do you keep? Is this as long as you want it? No, like I, I, could, I could definitely grow it a little bit longer. I mean, I'm not sure if I will, just because I don't know. Because so many people, right? I'm on the fence about this, and actually, your opinion would be really helpful. Okay, so <laughs> apparently, if you're like clean shaven, because I'm usually quite clean shaven, or I try to be, and then it comes back an hour later or whatever. But um. Clean shaven, I look one way, and then obviously with the moustache, people, some people have said, "Oh my gosh, I actually think you look really attractive now." And then before they didn't, but people who fancied me with a clean shaven face are now like, "Ah, oh, when are you shaving that?" It's really interesting. You mm -hmm. get like a di you're getting a different dating pool by just having a moustache. Double see, that might help, David. <laughs> <laughs> no problems. <laughs> So, yeah, so, so do, you, so do that. So, no, because that's a bit weird, isn't it? So we can see why. <laughs> don't do that. Well, I'll send you a picture. <laughs> but you said, but you love it. Oh, I love it. Well, because... that's the end of that conversation. My hair is the most divisive thing that I have ever done. Do you know what? I don't even think it's that divisive. I think people don't like it, but it makes me really happy. Yeah. So... And I think that's the thing, isn't it? That's the thing. If it yeah. makes you happy, fuck everyone else. Yeah. Well, it's. It just has the consequence that you'll die alone. But, like, I'll be happy, so it's fine. We all die alone, even if surrounded by loved ones. You make yeah, that firm so step on your own. It's fine. No. Unless. I think it looks good. Keep it. Thanks. That's that your fashion advice. That was nice, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You've given you permission. Chick. Dave has been nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's that done for the month, then, isn't it? I don't it? know that... I'm not sure anybody really thinks that's mediocre, though. Oh, they do. And I'm sure that they do. I mean, people have said... Mm. And which is mediocre, right? I feel like that's mediocre. I suppose, goes, yeah, a couple mm, of people yeah. have said that noise. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Isn't that, better than, yeah. isn't that better than them hating it, though? No. No, actually. because that's, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, leave you two it, to it. If they hate it, do something about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can, but if it's that... On the but fence. why? Because you love because it. So why would you do something about it? Because I do care about what people think. Of me. <laughs> <laughs> right there, it is. <laughs> okay, but for now it's here and on this couch. Okay, well, at least I mean, we are recording this in November, so you can pretend it's November. Inspired. Yes. Yeah, I'm not raising any money for it. <laughs> now I feel it's all bad. about awareness. It's about yeah. awareness. Oh yeah. So another thing that. Um, I probably would say is car sex. 
I mean, loads of people think, mm, it's that noise again. <laughs> but loads of people think it's like, oh, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. The car sex, I think, is pretty good, you know? It's not mediocre. What do you drive? <laughs> I don't think that's the point, is it? No, but I'm wondering if he has a particular type of car. That doesn't turn me on. It's not the car that turns me on. And I do drive a mini, so, so right now, right now, car sex is off the menu. I was going to say, not um, a lot of space. No, but I have really <laughs> fond. Is that a good way of saying it? I don't know. I have fond memories growing up where obviously um, I wasn't out um, to my parents um, until I was 18. So like that year, that first year, I remember like. Our sex was kind of like, mm, okay, this is good. Like, it's a good, <laughs> sound like such a pervert. Mm-hmm. Right? Look at your <laughs> Can we just stick to moustaches? <laughs> I think this is great content. I once uh, had a sort of dating type situation with an American who had a Mustang and I made him drive me around London and then we had sex in the car just because I wanted to feel like I was going to prom. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't wearing a dress. I didn't do the full. Well, obviously you weren't wearing a dress. <laughs> 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 well oh a Mustang yeah that was better than yeah. my one I think yeah. mine was a polo <laughs> <laughs> well and I can't partake in this so maybe you should maybe that's what you because you don't like cars or because you don't have sex because my parents watch this oh <laughs> in that case yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> they don't know you it's fine <laughs> they do now <laughs> Read my book. <laughs> my mum wanted to. <laughs> I wouldn't let her. But no, I will do. I just needed to finish it. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. I I guess there's lots of mixed opinions on that. It's space and I guess maybe it's practice. I think, yeah. It's not always the best. And what you're really talking about is nostalgia, I think. Yes. It sounds okay. like what you really like is cruising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I like it when we used to have to meet in toilets. That's what you're saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know what I don't? This is sort of related. Baths together. I've never understood. I, sorry? Bathing. Baths. Oh, baths. Baths. So I said, when my northern meets my it's southern, like I mangle the word bar, baths. Baths. Having a bath together, two people in a bath. There's never enough space. Yeah. I think you just, I mean. Unless it's a jacuzzi. Unless right? it's a jacuzzi, yes. Mm. I know it's it's when you see them in films and things. Obviously, I appreciate a film, and it's just but normally like like, often the films are American and the bathtubs are bigger and the people are tinier. Oh, in (laughs) films they are not in America in general, but yeah, in films, yeah. Yeah. In reality, it's not that good. It's not that good, and the water doesn't exactly help. No. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. I'm so glad I shared that second one. Yeah. Uh, What do you think? So, last question: What is mediocre about you? Oh, this is hard as well, because I'll, t- I'll tell you why this is hard, because I'm really trying to do this thing, um, which I think is a really positive thing, of not, like, shaming myself yeah. or, like, trying to be a bit more positive, because I think it's really easy to be down on yourself and stuff. That- but before you go on then, the whole point is that being mediocre is not a bad thing. Absolutely. So it's and not like going in on yourself. But people do find this question really triggering. <laughs> we didn't realise when we started. But I do think you kind of pick the, the least favourite bit of you. Or but it's about whatever. being able to celebrate that. Exactly. So I think the most mediocre bit about me... That we're going to celebrate. <laughs> that we're going to hold a party for. I'm not sure if you want, mate. <laughs> but on my feet. Oh, again, those faces. Well, they look... I mean, they're very nice 
boots. Are they boots or shoes? Boots. What are we calling those? Boots. boots. Oh, lad, they like boots. Um, oh, nice socks. What as specifically? Well, yeah, they are nice socks. What specifically about your feet? Well, do you know what? For so long, okay. I'm really conscious. You? I'm trying to hide my feet <laughs> so that nobody <laughs> can share our feet. <laughs> <laughs> for so long, so I'm a size seven and a half, sometimes eight. Um, I can buy your shoes. Yeah, and for a man, like. I used to like be like, oh my gosh, you have to have big feet or whatever and stuff like <laughs> this. Like because that? it means yeah. whatever. But which is a total lie. It's a total lie. Um, I dated a guy with size 14 feet. He had to have shoes specially made. And it's a lie. Okay. Well, that's all we're saying, because mum's watching. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but so the size was one thing. But also, like, I don't you know when people say, Oh yeah, I've got really nice hands, really nice mm. feet. Love my feet, like they're all right. They're just like so. I just think mm, I mediocre. Have, I have horrible feet, and my feet are smaller than yours. What size are you? Not, not gonna say. I'm gonna guess. No? Let's not do that. Okay. Do you know what? I worked with somebody who could guess your shoe size correctly just by looking at you. Well, it's not that hard, is it? It's gonna <laughs> it's be. It's quite difficult. Well, there's what most people, most adult guess each other's. Oh, she'll be like a 14 or something. <laughs> no, uh, well, you just said, so seven and a half, seven. Seven. I'm a seven too. I think the thing with feet and being mediocre as well is um, like a lot of people have foot fetish, right? Yeah. So, like, and I'm just like, if someone wanted to, to go down to my feet, I'd be like, no, no I don't need to. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, let's... Ooh, I don't. My feet are super ticklish I anyway. Oh, yeah. Don't like people's feet touching me in bed. No, awful. Oh, yeah. oh that's... Ugh. Yes. Luckily, it's very rarely a problem sleep, sleeping alone. So, it's so yeah. yeah. If, if you're sleeping alone <laughs> in someone's feet, <laughs> oh, maybe that's the problem. Big actually. problem. <laughs> so feet mediocre, along with my um, dating life. Your dating life is mediocre. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Oh, the God, book makes no it sound quite. You know, the book makes it sound quite interesting. You dated a hundred people in a year. I did date a hundred people in a year for a bit of an experiment, but it doesn't mean it's a good dating life. Like just because you date a lot or date not enough. Is it the actual quality of the days your face is? Oh my God. I'm not sure if this is like confused or um, judgment or. It's definitely judgment. All of the above. It just feels sounds exhausting. I'd have to leave the house a lot. Yeah, it is exhausting, but I was kind of on a mission because I really didn't want to be single at that time. I'm happily single now. For me. <laughs> we'll put his Instagram in there. Please do. My phone number. Uh, but. Um, but yeah, I think dating is mediocre because I feel like the majority of dates you have are average. And it's very rare that you have like sort of, uh, oh my gosh, that was a really great date. And it's sad truth. I think because especially dating in London, I find that there's just so much going on. People are dating so many different people. There's so many apps that you can be on. You're kind of not putting your all into dating. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it's mediocre for me. I think that's so it's reasonably well average. argued. I, yeah, no, I accept that. And I think... I'm glad you accept it. No, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like anyone we cares. might be quite horrendous people, oh, is well, what I'm taking out from this yeah. today. And this, is, this is why awful. I haven't dated 100 people in a year. <laughs> or, or three. Or however. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not putting you all into it, isn't it? Because there's always another one coming along tomorrow, or not. But there's always another one coming along tomorrow. <laughs> but that's, I think that's a mentality, isn't it? Yeah. You can just continue to date like and I think that's the thing right? I don't know I can't relate to this because no, I can't get a date for love nor money so 
don't know what well, we're doing. Well, now I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Do you fancy a drink? Please stop planning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, because apparently you're mediocre at it. So <laughs> yeah, I've really painted myself. And this is why I'm single. <laughs> um, would you go on first dates? Oh, my goodness, maybe. I absolutely would, because I think I'm quite good on a first date. I think... I kind of think that, yeah, you've got to sort of be open-minded, be like... And so, yeah, I potentially would. Yeah, I think... It, it, yeah, I think it would be a fun experience. Would you... On first dates. Are you single? Or? Yeah, I'm single. Yeah. Um, Very single. After I can tell by your necklace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not in service, or indeed being serviced. Decommissioned. <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where can I get one of those? <laughs> They've put me up in books and taken the wheels off, haven't they? <laughs> and there's weeds going You've through the floorboards. You've been sold for scrap. <laughs> <laughs> you can get one from Tatty Divine. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, love big fat tatty divine. Yeah, I think so. Well, also I like attention, so any any excuse to get on TV and I'd be there. Oh, but God, that, more importantly, laugh as well. There's yeah. that. Would you go on the holiday one? Actually, I would, don't think I'd go on the holiday one. That feels a bit more intense. I was actually um, <laughs> booked for the holiday one. Um, oh my God, were you not going to say that when but, I was like, "Would you go on?" No, first because at the time I couldn't do it because of work commitments and stuff. And I kind of think like I'm not sure. You need three days just to let you know. So if you can clear your schedule for three days, I. Don't want to be on TV in swimming stuff. Then you don't have to. But you'd be there. Wear a wetsuit and be different. <laughs> that will stand you out. Yeah. Do you remember the wetsuit? You are going to find this hard to believe, but I do not often have trouble standing out. <laughs> so, really? Need <laughs> so, any help in that department? Like, Nothing to make you look any weirder. Exactly. <laughs> no, but like on the holiday one, they always film them. Like in their room, like when they're getting ready and that. I'd have to turn up. Ironing, usually. I mean, ironing. Who, ironing. who ironed? Sorry. She told me my my jumper needed ironing. Well, which it does. I, yeah. <laughs> Guys, I don't really iron anything. I don't iron anything. I don't iron much. It's just... I've, Unless it's a shirt. One thing has been ironed this year and it was by her for me. Yes. Nothing else, my, nothing else has been ironed this whole year. I was being a nice friend. I was not subservient. I feel important to say. This yeah, I think you were dealing with a stress, David, for something or other. Oh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was a Tuesday. Oh, no, <laughs> it was any, any old awake. day. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Good. Well, I think let's on that note. <laughs> <laughs> he was awake. <laughs> Shady bitch. <laughs> Daniel, I like you. I think you can stay. Oh, God. In fact, do you want to host a podcast together, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's far too much work, Never trust me. <laughs> she got lost on the way here. And we've been here eight times. <laughs> yeah, and she still got lost and rang me. All I've managed to do is get Pepsi Max because that's all I'm good for. <laughs> yeah, anyway. and it was this morning. Anyway. So, Daniel, where can we get the book? So, it's available in all good bookstores and online, but also, obviously, support local. There's some really nice um, gay um, and queer stores, um, especially in London. Gays the Word, The Common Press, Backstory, some really nice ones. So, And where can we find you online? On Instagram and Twitter, at Daniel J. Harding, and on Twitter... At Daniel J. Harding 4, because all the other ones were taken. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, follow, share, 
great and read the book it's really good uh thanks very much for listening that's all for this week you can find me on instagram at mr david ian or you can check out my website for where mediocre gay is playing next at www.davidian.co.uk it is coming back to london in january as part of vault festival so check it out and you can follow me online at kts dale on instagram and also follow us on queer comedy club we've got some club nights coming up uh both pro nights and empty nights and we've got some great gigs and we'll see you soon bye Bye. thanks for listening to mediocre gay the podcast if you enjoy the show please subscribe and give us a five-star rating it helps other people find the show don't forget to follow us on instagram at mediocre gay pod or share your mediocre secrets with us on mediocre gay pod at gmail.com